0: This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. The Hog Sports Network presents the Basketball Podcast of Mid America, the premier Arkansas Hoops podcast covering the Razorbacks men's and women's teams. Here's your host, WholeHogSports.com basketball analyst, Scotty Bordelon.
1: Welcome into the Basketball Podcast of Mid America. It is December 7th, and it feels like Arkansas basketball has got its groove back a little bit. We appreciate you listening in today. I'm Scotty Borderline of Whole Hog Sports. Happy as always to be joined by Ethan Westerman. It's a little lonely in here, buddy, without you sorry. being without you being in the in the studio.
2: Yeah, sorry, I didn't uh, I didn't make the drive down to Fayetteville today. I live in Rogers, and I have like a lot of things going on today as far as just places to be. So I I sent the text a little bit before this that Scotty was going to have to be on his own, just him and his usual uh, seven brew. Without me there,
1: though, I was telling Blake and Spencer before we started recording this, I went back and rewatched because I'm vain. I went back and rewatched the video of last week's uh, reaction pod to the um, to the Duke game. And it was kind of funny. Every time the camera would pan back to us, my my drink would be about an inch lower. I just I needed all of that, all of that caffeine last week. I think I didn't I don't think I went to sleep. um, Probably till about three o'clock in the morning. I, um, so I'm flipping through, you, you mentioned before we left the arena last Wednesday after the Duke game, it was like, man, if you, I don't know if you can schedule Instagram posts or not, but Hank got a ton of really, really good photos from the game. And one of the pictures that he got was Eric Musselman kind of down on a knee, looking at the other end of the floor and Michael Musselman sitting right or standing right beside him. so I texted that, that picture to Eric and after I sent it to him, I'm like, "Oh my god, that was 2:45 in the morning! Like, what am I doing? I should have probably done that in the morning, but it was a late night." And the vibes are good today because I went to Seven Brew for a drink, and it was a free one, so I upgraded to a, a large and um, actively shaking as we speak. But um, hey, you're
2: just working on that sponsorship. Hey,
1: we'll take <laughs> we'll take that if we if we can get it for sure. We spend more money there as a family than, than we do on our mortgage every month. That's no that no doubt about it. Um, Blake Sutton won't be joining. Um, I'm going to miss his voice too. He's a little bit under the weather. Blake is, uh, if you want to follow him on on Twitter, he's at Taterboy and his spud got him sick this week. So he is not, he's not, he's producing behind the scenes, but you won't see him. Um, hopefully we can get in and out of here so he can get some, get some rest and get to feeling better. Um, but I mentioned we we brought two basketball podcasts of Mid-America's last week, previewing Duke, reacting to Duke. We're only going to do one this week, but um, plenty to talk about. Arkansas beat Furman ninety seven eighty three on Monday. And now Arkansas has got a really big test on Saturday in, in Tulsa against a, an Oklahoma team that is rolling right now, 19th in the AP poll. I believe they're 8-0 after a, a win over Providence on Tuesday. Uh, they put that game away the other night. I think it was a one I think Oklahoma was up by one with a little bit less than 15 minutes left, went on a 24 to four run and just blew that game wide open. So Oklahoma's going to be really good. They are really good. Eve, um, I know you're going we, we're taking a bunch of guys from the Hogs Sports Network team over to, over to Tulsa for the Arkansas, Oklahoma game. Um, I hope you're packing some Kleenex for the media seating because we're going to be up there in the nosebleeds, like kind of above the lights. But it is a it's a pretty unique environment, I think. And I asked Mekhi Mitchell about that yesterday, kind of in in his availability pre-Oklahoma, and he said he thought it was kind of a 50-50 split last year. I disagree. I think it was – I mean, I, honestly, I thought it was kind of closer to maybe 70-30, 75-25. Arkansas fans traveled to that game really, really well. Do you have any expectations for for that Oklahoma game just kind of the the environment have you, have you been to be okay before
2: Yeah, I actually went to the game 2 years ago. I didn't go last year. The one 2 years ago that was not, Honestly, not more t- more was talked about what happened with ejections and on like than what actually happened on the court, I feel like that game how ugly that one got. Um the whenever I went, I felt like it was about 50-50 that year. I it makes sense that last year would have been maybe a little bit more Arkansas heavy just based on kind of the hype that was around the team at that time of the game last year. Um, I'd expect that on Saturday you might get kind of the reverse of like I'm not saying it'll be 75-25 OU but they're really rolling right now like you said to where you figure that OU fans will probably show up there. Um, I know they didn't have the football season that set Oklahoma fan standards this year so maybe they're hopping on this basketball team there that's doing really good right now and they'll show up for that. Um, I update our, I have a tracker for the net rankings that I do every morning and I checked it this morning. I was like, wow, they're 14th in the net. I mean, I get it. That's only have so much data in there right now. Like Arkansas is not the number 112 team in the country. I think we can all agree on that, but that's what the net says. But I do think that if you see a team that has that like, like Oklahoma, that it has a fourteen. I remember last year I told you like it was around the same time. And I was like, I was like, Scotty, look at how dumb the net is. It has Florida Atlantic at number nine right now. And (laughs) lo and behold, they were actually really good. So I think you can put a little bit of stock into it. If a team is really high at this point that maybe like the, the the data is picking up on some stuff that, um, that will play out over the season. I know they're well-coached Porter Mosier is like, I think he's like, one of those coaches I think pretty much everybody respects at least. Um, he was, uh, he was in Little Rock for a while. I do believe. Um, right. I honestly cannot remember. I think Porter Moser spent a little bit of time in Little Rock. So he's familiar with the state of Arkansas. Um, and like, I'm sure he understands. Like, yeah. He
1: was in uh he was at UALR early two thousands.
2: Yeah. So he, and it's, he understands how Arkansas fans are with basketball, especially being there at the time that he was early two thousands. Like you're right on the, like on the uh, heels of Arkansas winning its first championship. So I'm sure that he kind of, uh, I like the passion of Arkansas's fan base and probably I'd assume that him and Eric both like this series. That's now going to turn into next year being conference. Um, yeah, it's going to be an sec matchup. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. I think that um, definitely is a huge I, – I it feels weird saying this because Arkansas has played, like, the likes of, like, North Carolina and Duke, um, Memphis, some other teams, like, that, you know, are big names. But I feel like OU on Saturday might be the biggest challenge they've had all year long um, as far as just the way that OU is playing right now.
1: I legitimately – I feel like it could feel like a – maybe second-round NCAA tournament game. You know what I mean? I feel like it could be one of those. Um, Maybe even a Sweet 16-type games. I I feel like both of these teams are are plenty talented enough to at least reach that second weekend. But this this series is kind of interesting because the the first game was obviously Oklahoma just railroaded Arkansas. And Eric gets ejected. I remember Devo goes for like – he almost went for 30 points, but it almost kind of felt hollow – uh, to a degree. Last year's game, you know, Nick Smith really showed up, and and I thought Makai Mitchell played really well. He had, like, 10.6 boards, four assists, no turnovers. Like, he was phenomenal last year. This year it's going to be really interesting because if, you looked, if you've looked at Oklahoma at all and you just watch, like, maybe five minutes of a game, the athleticism that they have this year is, like, a complete 180 from, I feel like, what they've been in the past – and so that, that to me, makes this really interesting. I feel like we're going to see um, lots and lots and lots of athleticism. Um, and I'm really interested in how things are going to shake out maybe around the rim. Um, I can get into to some of that later. But I remember when I was at SEC spring meetings, one of the things that I wanted to ask Hunter Juracek about whenever I saw him was kind of the future of the, the Arkansas-Oklahoma series. And when I mean the future, I guess this season because I think the game was contracted for two years. And then if they like, if like both sides liked it, then they could run it back for a third year um, or a third matchup. And Hunter your told me, he said, and this was late May, early June. He told me, he was like, I don't think he said, I don't anticipate that game happening. And then, you know, I remember we did a press conference with Eric in the summer. It may have been a few weeks later. Um, after it may have been august at that point but eric was asked about just the schedule and eric was like yeah i remember reading that um hunter your said he didn't think that the the game was going to get played but we got it got it worked out i think the word on the street was that oh you wanted to play this game in oklahoma city as opposed to to tulsa um and to me that's kind of a compliment to the way that arkansas's fans have traveled to this game and kind of made it a bud walton west type of feel even though arkansas has gone one and one to this point um yeah i thought it was so funny yesterday when um bob holt asked a, a question for nate allen about does this game have more significance with oh you coming into the league next year and eric was just like i don't care <laughs> that was great i mean that's a that's a total eric Wasselman way to put it and it, it the thing that i loved the most was like you know, he said, "You know, I'm I'm not going into this thinking like, oh man, OU's going to be in the in the league next year. How are we going to play them on Saturday?" You know, what I mean, it's one of those deals. Um, what do you expect from that game? I guess we can get into Furman and in, in the Furman game in just a few minutes, but um, this will be your first trip covering a game um, over there. Just any any early thoughts on on the the final Arkansas OU game before both teams are in the league together.
2: Yeah, first of all, I want to say, I think I'm glad, I think it's good that they didn't move it to Oklahoma City, to be honest. Um, Tulsa's just, I mean, if you're talking about closeness to the campuses, like Oak, Oklahoma City is really close to Norman. Like that's an opportunity to get something put as a neutral side on your schedule that was actually more like a road game, um, which if you know how the network's um by the end of the year that's broken up into quadrants with and neutral and away games are weighted differently than your home games. So I think it's, I mean, smarter than if the if the thought was to try and move to Oklahoma city to, to negotiate, I guess, or whatever they did to make sure it stayed in Tulsa. Cause I just think that's a little bit more fair to put down as a neutral side game than Oklahoma city would be. But that aside, just talking about, like you asked this weekend, um, I'm expecting to see Arkansas, um, Honestly, in a really big, like, like I said, I think it's going to be a really big test. Um, I'm interested to just see how they respond. Like the Duke it's so, I see people going back now, They're like, Oh, maybe Duke is who we think we, who they, who we think they were like whenever Arkansas played him. I think that you can do that. You can play those games, but at the same time you got to remember what was like leading into a game. What was the feel around it? And did the team rise to the occasion? Like, Maybe there is some stock that Duke isn't, you know, normal Duke, uh, just with what's happened recently. But at the same time, going into that game, Arkansas had lost uh three of four. Duke was ranked number seven. They rose to the challenge in like a really big it was a big setting. Um, so I guess that's kind of I'm similar to going into that Duke game. I'm interested and I'm intrigued to see how Arkansas goes into this OU game because it's got a similar feel to me. I mean, it's different, of course. It's not a blue blood like Duke coming into your own building. But I think going into this game Saturday, you know, like this is maybe the best team Arkansas has played yet. They're playing it in on a floor that they play at once a year. Um, I don't know. I, I, am anticipating Arkansas to play well, but I think if there's anything I've picked up about this team this year, it really, I mean, you can say this about probably any team, but it really all hinges on how they shoot the three, and how they defend the three it's like if OU is shooting really well and Arkansas can't I mean whenever Arkansas is making their threes they're so hard to beat like um Furman was shooting unconscious there for a little bit um on was that Monday night yeah Monday night um they're shooting unconscious but it just seems like whenever Arkansas is on like they can answer in so many different ways um I'm interested to see in a different setting like I mean in the Bahamas I don't want to say – I mean, there was a lot of flashes where they didn't shoot well, but it's not like the UNC Greensboro game where they just couldn't buy a bucket to save their life. I'm interested to see on a in an arena like that um, that – I mean, I went there two years ago. It's kind of a weird in there. I don't know how to explain it other than it's just like it's it, – you can tell it's being turned into a basketball arena for that day. It's not normal. That's not what it's really <laughs> – the, the main function of it. So I'm interested to see if Arkansas can shoot there. If they can't shoot there, I don't give them much of a chance at all to win this game. I think that they – I just think you got to be hot against a team like Oklahoma. Um, you got to be able to shoot and respond the way they did against Duke and Furman.
1: Arkansas, the first year they played Oklahoma at BOK Center, shot 29% from three. And then last season, Arkansas shot – 33 uh, percent they were 4 of 12 last year so it was a lot of i mean arkansas feasted on two-point buckets like they were 66 percent inside the arc um going back to the your point on duke a sec a second ago arkansas I mean, arkansas could have slipped up against Furman had that game been two days earlier like duke turned around left fayetteville and then had thursday off friday probably traveling again saturday they've got a game so two, you I mean you got two days between games? That's really that's that's tough, man. Especially you're coming off kind of an a, an emotional an emotional night like like they had at Arkansas. Um, but Arkansas did take care of business against Furman. Um, good teams win. Great teams cover. Right? I think Arkansas was favored by like eleven and a half against Furman, and it got hairy down the stretch. I mean, Arkansas led by as many I think as fourteen or fifteen points. And then a few minutes left to go in the game, it starts to get a little bit dicey. I mean, if you've got you got entertainment purposes on it. Um, Eric Musselman gets attacked almost simultaneously. Uh, Layden Blocker fouls a, a three-point shooter, so you got a five-point swing right there. I think Arkansas, their lead dwindled to seven, I think, at one point, but they closed the game on a 7-0 run in the last 50 seconds. Um, Devo had a couple of assists in, like, the last 18 to 20 seconds to kind of put the the cherry on top of that one. Um, So many places that we could go, like Caleb Battle, Leighton Blocker, really good, Chandler Lawson. um, I guess you can kind of choose your own adventure here. Who who do you want to go with first?
2: Caleb Battle. I mean, I just don't think I've seen a player in a minute on the men's basketball team that if he pulls up, for even a difficult shot. Like I'm talking about the difficulty level of some of these that he's making. I expected to go in. I don't think there's been anybody like that in a, in a while that I'm just like, he takes shots that other people, you are just, you're screaming at the TV. That is a stupid shot. That's so ill-advised. Like, why are you taking it? But he makes them and you expect him to go in. He, it's like, I don't know. I I just I think I texted you this the other day. I think I just said something like I love Caleb Battle's game. It's just so much fun. Like
1: Yeah. He's a he's blast.
2: A, and he's so like in tune with the game the whole time he's on the court, too. He just knows like he knows I think the emotional roller coaster of a game and like when to really Some people try and go for the momentum bucket whenever you're like that's you're not the right person maybe not the right time. It's like he still plays within himself, I feel like, but knows how to get like that big bucket that causes the place to erupt and causes the other team to take a timeout. Um I know sometimes people like if you're on a run, like the worst thing you can do whenever you're on a run in a game is like do something stupid, like take a bad shot and give it to the other team. Um and just kind of kills like what you had going whenever that player goes. It's like he knows how to go for that momentum bucket and he doesn't force, like, it it looks like it would be forced for a lot of people, but for him, it's just, I mean, it's just how he hoops. I don't know. I, I just love his game. I mean, and the shimmy, come on now. The shimmy. He said he was going to put the, he it, said he the was most exciting start. thing that any Arkansas player's done in a hot minute, like at least as far as like excitement in the building after he's made a big shot and then he hits you with the shimmy like dude is he's hooping and he he's in his own little world
1: for sure. He said the other night, he's like, I might have to just put that on a t-shirt. Who wouldn't buy that? I mean, that would, that's the most brilliant thing he's, he's ever thought of. Um, You mentioned the, the momentum shots and how some guys try to get them. Caleb gets them and then he hits them a lot Um, after the Duke game. I wrote about um uh, and just like his want for those momentum shots and then how kind of how big they were I mean he was part of that avalanche that that put Arkansas up what fourteen or fifteen points I think um hit the three to put him up eight driving bucket to put him up ten for the first time, big three in front of the bench for a second shimmy put him up fourteen. He just he wants those shots, and I think there's i think you can draw a lot of parallels between him and jD note. Um, I mean, both dudes are just so wired to score. Really good at getting into the lane, um, drawing contact, getting to the free throw line almost whenever they want at will. Caleb's got a definite three point accuracy advantage over JD. JD was more volume, and he would hit his. You know, if he could get hot, he could knock down four out of five or whatever. But Caleb is just. I mean, he's he's shooting like 44% from three this year. And it's a mix of catch and shoots, um, you know, coming off stagger screens on baseline out of bounds plays off the dribble threes. He's just been, he's been phenomenal. I've got some notes here on him hit a season high four threes against Furman on Monday. He's 12 for 19 this season from three in the corners, which dude, you make a lot of money making threes from corners. Um, People in the NBA tend to, tend to like that. He's also six of fourteen on the left wing and CBB analytics. This is the weekly shout out to them. Eight, 18 of thirty two on short threes. So threes inside of twenty five feet. He's shooting a a modest fifty six point three percent. He's just I think his shot selection's been largely good. And then the other night, um, he's been really good on catch and shoot threes. I haven't I haven't went back and rewatched every game this year yet I think I'm still missing Greensboro, Memphis and North Carolina. So the games that Arkansas has lost this year I haven't rewatched those yet. But um Catching shoots he's been really good, but the other night against Furman he was 3 of 6 on off the dribble threes. I mean, so he's he's kind of it's like if you want to you want to defend me really close, I can take a couple dribbles or I can literally make you dance and spin around. Um, read the name on the back of your jersey, and then drop you off, and um, and knock down a three that way. Something else I found that was kind of interesting: Caleb's he scored twenty he scored twenty plus points five times this year. He scored twenty plus points in back to back games twice this year. If you go back to his last stretch of games at, against Temple, he scored twenty at least twenty points in ten of his last fifteen games. I mean that's that's special. I mean what kind of stands out about him? And I asked Eric yesterday, I was like, I said, look, this is going to sound silly, but like, what have you kind of observed from Caleb that Caleb that, that makes him such a, a dynamic scorer? And I think it's the quick shot. It's the getting to the free throw line, keeping guys on their heels. You know, he, you get him, isolated at the top of the key and you just kind of like as a defender, you're kind of like what is about to happen. Um, I think he's, he's just, he's really good at, at picking his spots and, um, I'll shut up in just a second after I mentioned this. When I covered Daryl Macon when I first joined this beat, and you mentioned kind of just living in the moment. I, I wrote a lot about how Daryl Macon was great about recognizing the moment and living in it when he was in it. Um I think Caliph is is to me like he is he's that guy too.
2: Yeah, I like these comparisons you've made, honestly, with JD Note and Daryl Macon. It's like he's got kind of characteristics of both of them, I feel like that i think all three of those guys you can point to and say something they're really good at i i remember this vividly with daryl macon i remember this pretty vividly with Jaden denote and i'm seeing it with, with caleb battle those three guys can bail you out like late in the shot clock or in a bad situation just with like they just know how to make that play um as far as like they just have that in them that they can get to the both all three of those really good at getting to the line. I feel like, um, Caleb battle, I think one of his best, I mean, we talk about his shot, the quick release and how nice that is. Um, I almost think it's equally as impressive how good he is at like recognizing like a, either a bag closeout or just like a kind of a gap that's there. And he he has that, that like threat from deep towards you have to play. So on him, that he knows how to get past you and really drive to the rim. I mean, there's sometimes in a game that you'll see him attack the rim aggressively and it's like, it kind of stops there. He doesn't, um, doesn't get a foul call. he just kind of gets swatted or falls or something. I mean, those happen rarely, but a lot of the time he's going in there and he's, I feel like he's getting himself to the line, which is you talked about good scores um, and how you, we talked to early, like the first episode predicting who would be the leading scorer. Um, your people who can get to the foul line are always a good candidates for that because they're going to pick up an additional five, six points a game just from the the line. Um, One of the things I think I like the most about him is just his ability to come off the bench and be like a spark. Um, He doesn't get down on himself. He's not in the starting lineup or something. I think he recognizes like he is that electric player that can come in and just give you a big boost. Um, That's the same way JD Note was. I mean, I like these comparisons like, uh, between all three of these players, they're all very different. Um, but like JD note, I'm talking about bailing you out. He could throw up a deep three that makes zero sense and somehow finds the bottom of the Uh, battle is like, he bails you out with just didn't close out quick enough or i got to the line. I feel like Daryl Macon had a little bit of all that in him. Um, yeah, he's just an exciting player. I love watching him play. And I think that he, is kind of that player this year that without him, there's a big hole on the team.
1: I wanted to talk about this shimmy. Because we've seen it, what, two or three times? At least three times now, right? Because he did it twice against Duke, and then once after he um, made the dude defending him dance a little bit. He got asked about that after the Furman game the other night. And anytime Caleb Battle comes into the interview room, everybody's stories immediately get better because he is about to say something that is so quotable. It's my wife's going to hate, hate it that I say this, but it's so quotable. It doesn't make sense. Like it's, it's so good. He's kind of a sports writer's dream, to be honest, whenever he comes in to the interview room and you ask him something, you're going to see that million dollar smile. You're going to hear the Jersey accent come out of him. And then he's going to just, he's going to tell you what he thinks. And he said it was a little razzle dazzle play. Whenever I see Ronnie Brewer, he makes fun of me because I'm from Jersey. So we have Jersey club dancing. So he'll be telling me to dance on him. So now, so now every single time I make a nice move or whatever, I look at Ronnie and do my little shimmy shake. That's perfect, dude. I mean, just
2: get a. It's get impressive a cut how it. he says these things. Like, it's almost like he gives you answers that you would have needed to give somebody. Like, hey, here's. A couple hours these are the questions you're about to be asked come up with a good answer for him and he just rattles off stuff like
1: that yeah it's great and yeah i think if you do a, a cutout of him hitting the shimmy and looking toward the bench or whatever and you throw that on a t-shirt um maybe you call it the jersey shimmy or something i mean that that t-shirt's gonna do that's that t-shirt's gonna do numbers a couple other things on on kb before we we can move on because i think a lot of people want to. I don't think people can get enough of Chandler Lawson either. And I'm right there with you. The last two games, we talk a lot about C- Caleb's offense and for good reason. Like he's, I think he's now point two points behind Tremont Mark for the team's leading score. I think he's at 16 8. Last two games, he held opponents to two of seven from the field. Um, so he's, I mean, obviously there's some things that, if you ask Eric Musselman, yeah, he's got to do this this and this better defensively, but he's not standing out for the wrong reasons. Like the steals and the blocks numbers maybe not where you want them, but I think he's he's shown that, that he'll sit down and defend and um, Arkansas's defensive rating I believe is a lot better when Caleb Battle is, is on the floor. In the last 5 games, he's got like a a team best net rating of like 20.1. Um, so that's like the differential: of Arkansas's offensive rating minus defensive rating per 100 possessions when he's on the floor, and it's like Arkansas is a 20 point is 20 points better over 100 possessions in the last game in the last five games than when he's off the floor. So he's been phenomenal. Again, I, I can't get enough of Chandler Lawson. That was a bad transition, but we'll just we'll go right in, into that. Career high 19 points on Monday, eight of 10 from the field. Dude, sign me up for that. Like, if Chandler Lawson is gonna get it, granted, it's against a Furman team that uh, was out without its leading scorer the other night. Marcus Foster did not play, but Marcus Foster is not a guy that would have been guarding Chandler Lawson. Chandler Lawson still got uh, got his buckets. I think his his previous career high was 16, so he was just he was just out there working. And then he blocks three more shots. So in Arkansas's last three wins, Stanford, Duke, Furman, he's got 14 blocks. And I was looking at Ken Palm earlier and you've got to play 40% of your team's available minutes to get a national ranking in a lot of these, these categories like block percentage. Um, His block, his block rate is at 11.2%. Meaning he's blocking when he's on the floor, 11.2% of opponents, two point field goal attempts, which which is really, really nice. If he had played like maybe 10 more minutes this season, 12 more minutes, that would put him 19th nationally. And so I've, I've talked several times on this on this podcast about how Chandler Lawson was a late-June gym, and I think you're you're really seeing it. And I find myself almost, especially after Arkansas's last three wins, like, man, I can't believe how good Chandler Lawson has been because I, I threw him in a rotation projection piece I did for HI. I was like, he's got an uphill battle to crack the rotation, but I don't think I really took into account, like, his makeup, his basketball IQ, his his willingness to be coachable and just do whatever the team needs and the team needs him straight up at this point to continue to to do what he's doing because I think he is he's the glue guy for this team and I'm this close to saying that he's this team's X factor.
2: Yeah, and okay, so I hear players all the time in like interviews like say something like, oh, he's such a great guy, uh, y'all should know him. But, like, they say that about everybody. You can – whenever I hear multiple people with Chandler Lawson, like, his teammates just always – it's like they go out of their way to mention y'all should see him off the court, too, like how about he's a good guy. I've just noticed that kind of your glue guys are usually people who are taking care of their business, like, on the court, and they're just, like, really good for the locker room, too um it just seems like he's that guy and I can even credit I mean I don't know him personally I mean I just see what I see just like the rest of us but I was covering a women's game against UCLA on Sunday and Chandler Lawson's there and um he's just going around like little kids are running up to him to take pictures and a lot of times you'll see these guys like they'll get they'll take a few pictures and then they're they're like all right I got it I got my window to go kind of skirt let's go Chandler Lawson I just saw him like he was like I think it was just, it just looked very genuine, like very excited that like he's in a place where like kids are wanting to come take their photo with him, And you could just tell, I think he's a good, really good for the team. Like just culture wise. Um, I know Eric that before you had even, I mean, you made a prediction based on just, um, what you heard Eric say about how he was, uh, I forget the exact quote. Um, yeah, what did he, did he said, he, he said he's
1: doing, he said he's, he does the things that you need to do to move up on the depth chart.
2: Yep. And then it's just, it's, if you hear, you just have to, if you see patterns of what people are saying about somebody, I mean, I'd throw out whatever he did at Memphis, like so throw it out the window. He's, if, if you have everybody saying the same things about him here, it seems like it's been a good fit for him. Um, clearly has been a good fit for him. I don't think that anybody saw him doing what he's doing this year. Um, except for maybe those who were at every single practice. Um, but he, yeah, what I, and now what I liked about his game the other night too, was just he, uh, it just seemed like it was all within what the team needed. It wasn't like, you'll see some guys go out there and get their career high and it's because they maybe made some garbage time buckets or like <laughs> kind of forced some things. I don't know. It, it just seemed like he was so efficient with it too. It came all in the flow. It was It was one of those performances where I know, that, like you said, some people might be like, oh, Furman doesn't have their, you know, the big guy or whatever. Um, I don't care. If you go out and you put up a career high on eight for ten shooting, I don't care who you're against. You're playing college basketball, and you just did that. You scored more points than you ever did at Memphis. And I know that at Memphis you played some teams that were also not having their (laughs) – I don't know. Uh, You did it against a team that made the NCAA tournament round of 32 last year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's been. been. I hate
2: whenever people try and take away people's flowers just because they want to discredit the opponent. That's why I mentioned the thing about Duke. I feel like that's a lot of what we hear happening right now with this team is people are like discrediting some things that these guys have done, basing it off of the other team. I'm like, listen, I promise, whenever they're out there playing, like they aren't. Whenever they're playing number seven, Duke, they aren't thinking about. Oh, is this? Is this actually Duke? Uh, It's Duke. Get yeah. over it. They yeah. did what they did. I don't know. I'm probably getting on the soapbox. I've just gotten annoyed with seeing people like discrediting the Duke win over the past few days. I'm like because I they put a because, bit of a smile on your face
1: because they lost another road game. I mean that was. I mean you hear a lot of times. I follow and listen to some podcasts for guys that that cover the NBA, and sometimes they'll talk about a schedule loss. I think that that Georgia Tech game that they played on Saturday was a schedule loss. I mean, it's. I mean, you knew that two game stretch against Arkansas, Georgia Tech was going to be pretty tough because, first and foremost, they're both on the road. You had to know going into it that it was going to be a really emotional, probably roller coaster type game, and then you barely got time to rest at all and recover and practice, and then you got to go on the road to another place that wants to storm the court if they if they whoop you. Um, but Chandler Lawson has been really good. Here's you mentioned that he just kind of gets his offense when he does score with just kind of within the flow he's i think he may be one of the best on the team at staying within himself on the offensive end so i cataloged his shots the other night here are his 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 buckets his eight scores post up floater transition layup catch and shoot 3 that's first half all of those are well within his wheelhouse second half pick and roll roll layup drop off layup drop off layup transition lob layup drop off dunk i mean there is nothing there that is like well yeah he you know took his man off the dribble in the mid range and just you know was going to see what what happened he he's so good at staying within the framework of what he knows that he can do well and that benefits him a lot i thought maybe the most encouraging thing though was we saw him have a really good game against duke and i wasn't totally shocked that um that he he played like he did against Duke because he gets up for those. I mean, the evidence is all there. I mean, you you got Edie in the preseason, to a lesser degree. The um, the Nod kid from from Stanford um, played well in that game, and then Filipowski Filipowski was three for ten against Lawson and had four of his shots blocked. So Chandler got up for that game, but how does he come back against a a SoCon team? Well, he comes back by blocking three more shots and being a deterrent around the rim. I think he gave up three buckets on seven shots the other night. So maybe not his best defensive effort, but at the same time, if you go back to Arkansas's last three wins, opponents are 9 of 35 shooting against him. That's somewhere in the range of 25.7%. That's on the money. Um, 25.7%. I think you will take that uh, in a heartbeat. And he's been a he's been a big reason why Arkansas has been such a great shot blocking team, right? Like the other night, they blocked ten against Furman. Back to back games with at least ten blocks for this team. Three games this year with with at least ten. And Arkansas as a team has a block rate of seventeen point seven percent, which is the best of of any of of Eric's college teams. And the number two rate is thirteen point seven in his first year at Nevada. So this team. This team's getting it done around the rim from a shot-blocking standpoint. Now, you bring that up to Eric, and he's like, why well, is our three-point defense not, not much better? But I think if um, I think if Arkansas can kind of get things figured out perimeter defense-wise, because Furman got loose the other night. You mentioned it kind of at the top. But if they can get both of those things really cooking, I think you'll see this, this team really start to stand out on the defensive end. Uh, We're going to take a short time out. and we come back, we'll dive into Layden Blocker's emergence. I can't believe we've gotten this long into this without talking about him. And we'll get into more about Saturday's game against Oklahoma. And then we'll get Ethan's Talia Scott fact of the week and more. Stay with us.
0: Get the latest breaking news on all Arkansas Razorback sports at wholehogsports.com. Our award-winning reporters and photographers go beyond game recaps to bring our subscribers the most trusted Razorbacks news anywhere. With expert analysis, the latest in recruiting, plus unique and compelling stories of your favorite teams. Subscribe today at wholehogsports.com.
1: Welcome back in to the basketball podcast of Mid America. I am a forgetful soul. My wife will um, can can attest to that. I did not tease before the break that we were going to talk about Trevin Brazil too. Because one of the things, what happened late in Monday's game against Furman, Trevin Brazil tweaked his left ankle and left the game, I believe, with about 2.41 left. And Eric Musselman said after the game Monday that he had a pretty good sprain and also a pretty bad sprain. Um, So that that didn't sound great, um, kind of in the immediate aftermath of the game. And on Wednesday, when we talked to Eric, he upgraded it to a severe sprain, and he did not, according to Eric, Trevin did not do anything in uh in practice on Wednesday, and there was a possibility that he would get on like an underwater treadmill on Thursday. So if you're listening to this, we're recording this on Thursday, so I'm going to say Trevin was supposed to do or they were going to try to get him on an underwater treadmill today with the hopes that you know he can Recover, rehab, and, and be ready to go against Oklahoma. Um, this game would be a lot tougher for Arkansas. It's already going to be tough because Oklahoma's much improved over last year. But man, what is, I don't even want to throw out hypotheticals, but what does Arkansas do if Trevin Brazil isn't isn't able to go? Like you, I think you just you got to run a lot with Makai Mitchell and Chandler Lawson, right? But at the same time, I think one of the reasons that the the Trevin Brazil Chandler Lawson deal works in the front court is because Trevin's a floor spacer. Chandler Lawson can hang around in the dunker spot, but if you have to go with Kai and Chandler Lawson at the same time, it's almost like you've got two dunker spot guys, or potential back to the basket bigs. On the floor at the same time, so it could be it could be tough for Arkansas. But at the same time, I think I think that's where having several days before Arkansas has to play Oklahoma, I think that's a I think that's a positive for Arkansas. So we'll we'll see um, if Trevin Brazil is able to go. We will weird. Another weird thing about the BOK Center in this Arkansas Oklahoma game, we typically don't get let into the arena until an hour before tip off, and. At Arkansas for home games, we're allowed in an hour and a half early, so we can already kind of see 90 minutes before tip-off who's out there moving around. Like Monday night we saw Tremont Mark looked like he was ready to go. I don't know that we'll exactly get the full picture of, you know, Trevin Brazil's pregame, but we will see him inside of an hour before tip-off, and we'll try to put an update – Um either on Twitter or message board, something like that, we will get an update out there on that for sure. Um, let's get it in the laden blocker. How much has he impressed you slash maybe exceeded your expectations through nine games? Because I, I, I mentioned earlier, I did a rotation projection for HI in the summer. He was another guy with, along with Chandler Lawson. I was like, man, this, he's got an uphill battle to – you know, crack the rotation. And my reasoning was whose minutes are you going to take? But I think I think he is a guy that needs to be on the floor, man. He's just he's fearless and not to be cliche and say he's got got a lot of dog in him. But um, it's pretty clear that he does, dude. Like, what, what do you like about Layden? And then are you kind of on the same page with where Eric Musselman is in terms of, like, areas that that he's got to improve if he wants to, you know, maybe even take on more minutes.
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I feel like Leighton Blocker, in a weird way, feels like a Devo Davis clone, but just a little smaller and more like jitterbug, kind of like, I don't know, he's just everywhere. Um, but Um He's bouncier. Yeah, he's bouncier, too, you know I mean, but he's got that same sort of just, like, intensity about him um and kind of just they move similar it's weird um maybe i'm the only one who thinks that but feels to me like a weird devo davis clone um but yeah he you know eric said a lot of things that he needs to clean up to keep getting minutes but i don't think so long as he's playing with the intensity and as hard as he does, I don't think those minutes are going anywhere. I mean, it's something that right now it stands out. I mean, if you're a freshman on the court and we're talking about how hard you play whenever you're playing on the court with a bunch of older guys, I don't think those minutes are going down the drain. I don't think Eric will look at what Layden Blocker's done and think that that's not needed on the team like they're in the rotation. I mean, there might be games coming up that makes freshman mistakes and needs to sit on the bench for a long amount of time, but I don't see him falling back out of, like, I don't think we'll be looking at this team in SEC plays so long as, you know, he's healthy and everything. I don't think we'll be looking at this team and saying, oh, Laden Blocker doesn't do any, like, he's fallen out of grace as he's on the bench. So I, I think that he's kind of earned himself, like, a, a spot just with how hard he plays. I mean, things can change over time. Like, if, you know, if LLS elevates his game, um, again with consistency to where it's like you need him on the I mean you could see his minutes go down I just don't think he's going to fall back out like I mean there's some people on the team right now that you look down the bench and you're just like I don't see you I don't see where your opportunities come much this year um he's one of them that I don't think we'll ever look on the bench and say that about again I think that down in the Bahamas at the at the battle for Atlantis he kind of um he put himself on the map it didn't guarantee anything. And then you turn around and the way he played against Duke. And then what he did against Furman, I mean, just I think that he's kind of locked himself in there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll look back and say, this was a stupid thing to say, but I just know that Eric really values players who play with that type of effort.
1: For sure. And I think the the thing that jumped out to me about, you know, I asked Eric about Layden after the Furman game, cause he had nine points, five boards, five assists and three blocks. That is a hell of a stat line for a first year guy. Um, but Eric's just like he's fearless. he's tough. He plays with, you know, Eric's got the thing effort, energy, and enthusiasm. You see all of that with Laden. I mean, he is talk about Devo being bionic or, you know, just endless amounts of energy. I mean, I feel like you got to say this about Layden, too, because he is he's kind of wired that same way but his feet are so quick um incredibly bouncy kid like i noticed that in the red white game when they played it in barnhill like he was one of the guys that was he was showing out in the layup lines and he was turning it into a like a one man dunk contest he's been he's been excellent and the things that eric is is saying that you know he needs to improve on he's really optimistic that he's eventually going to Maybe weed some of those things out because they're all coachable. It's don't gamble as much. Stay in front of your guy. Uh, improve at the free throw line. Um, maybe late game situations, just sound contests on three point shot because he he fouled a three point shooter twice in the last couple minutes against Furman. If you're sound in your closeouts, which you can work on, you know you can weed those things out and be even more valuable than you already are but the, the kid's just he is I don't want to say he surprised me but his emergence in these last 5 games has been has been, you know, I think maybe one of the more fascinating storylines of this of this early season. And you think about it like this, he played 14 minutes total in 4 games before Arkansas went to Atlantis. And now he's averaging 23 minutes a game in the last 5. Something interesting I found on CBB Analytics. Last five games, Arkansas's offensive rating with Layden on the floor is 118.0, and without him on the floor in the last five games, it's ninety eight point zero. So you got a twenty point swing when Layden's on the floor versus off the floor. Um, and I, uh, earlier I mentioned, you know, he had nine five five and three against Furman. A little do a little trivia. time. Are you interested in some trivia time?
2: Sign me up, man.
1: Who was the last Razorback to finish with at least nine points, five rebounds, five assists, and three blocks in a game?
2: Can I get get like a year hint?
1: Um, It's happened since Eric Musselman has been here.
2: I'm going to guess Jimmy Witt seems right to me.
1: More recent than that.
2: Okay. Jalen Tate?
1: More recent than Jalen Tate, too.
2: Goodness, is it this year? No. Okay. Um, Maybe let me guess. Oh, Anthony Black.
1: Not even AB. That was AB would have been a really good first guess, but
2: yeah, I don't even know why I slipped my mind. Now, now I'm just feeling confused. Like, who could this be? Is it? It's not Ricky Council, is it? It's not. I mean, yeah, I'm dumbfounded. Give me another hint.
1: Um we've talked about him on this podcast already.
2: Oh, JD Note.
1: JD Note. JD Note put up one of those games, and I don't have the the JD's stat line in front of me right now, but he did it in January 2022 against South Carolina. And I'm pulling up my story that I wrote on Laden the other day. Um other Arkansas players since 2010 2011 to put up at least nine five five and three in a game. You ready for these names? So you got J.D. Notte, Jalen Williams, Moses Kingsley, and Hunter Mickelson. How's that for some some and company? then laden blocker is and laden and laden blocker. Yeah, and you those just are the look at
2: that group and you're like one of these is kind of not like the other. You're like how'd this dude get in that bunch? Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it's really impressive just for kind of you compare those names, totally different players. Yeah. And blockers, the one that you're like, you wait, you're on a list with Moses Kingsley and Hunter Mickelson right now. And Jalen Williams. Like, yeah. Layton, how'd you, how'd you find your way to this club?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been really impressive in the, the, he's contributing to this shot blocking party that they're having seemingly Every night, you know, the last last few weeks, um, three blocks against Furman the other night. He absolutely pounded a layup attempt. I mean, he he blocked that layup attempt off the backboard as hard as you can without the ball going through the backboard. And his ch- he's he's going to have some chase down blocks in his career here that are going to absolutely wow everybody that's watching the game. I mean, he is he's just athletically he's just he's so he's so gifted and i'm just i'm really eager to see how he even progresses through the rest of this season and then down the line you know a kid can get faster stronger bigger um and you you make a kid like that bigger faster stronger with kind of already the innate things that he has like eric's been talking about he's gonna be he's gonna be really special um Defensively, I mentioned the the block shots. Duke players were 0 of four from the field against blocker, uh, in Arkansas's upset win, and then against Furman the other day. Furman players were two of ten against him, including one of six inside the arc. Like this kid's, I don't, I just don't think this kid's going anywhere in terms of the rotation. It's going to take like, you know, Eric has said that his his needs to improve on his jump shot. I think it's going to take like him going 0 for 4 or 0 for 5 from the field for Eric to just be like, "Alright, you got to sit and you have to you got to work on this on this jumper a lot more before you start taking 4 or 5 in a game." But I think Layden is really in tune with the game plan, understands. He, he's another one of those guys maybe like Chandler Lawson who understands what he's good at and he just does that really well. Um been really impressed with how he he attacks the rim against guys that are much bigger than him um just just really really good man I, I can't I can't talk enough about how impressed I've been
2: I got a question for him. you about him does he feel to you at least he feels this way to me does he feel to you like the first player under Eric Musselman since Devo that you look at as a freshman that's playing and you're like I could see you here for the next three or four years or do you I mean, i I'm not trying to discredit like i I think he has a definitely a future playing professionally. I'm just saying I think that he is kind of that first the first freshman I've seen in here that I'm like, I see you being a razorback for a for a hot minute, not really. I mean, yeah, a b you knew from you watched him in Maui last year. you said, okay, this dude's in the league. <laughs> yeah. as soon as the season's over. Layton blocker feels to me like that guy that could maybe turn into the next just stable piece you have
1: yeah I mean if he if he keeps playing at this level I mean there might be there might be some chatter that starts on him professionally you know what I mean like the guys that that do um talent scouting and all these really way too early mock drafts and stuff like that there could be some chatter about him going into next year but I think I, I could see him being here a couple of years at least a few years I want to say a few years probably um I think what could take him obviously to the next level is just that jump shot. So I mean, if you've got the fearlessness driving the bat, driving the ball to the rim, um, and you've got as much defensive potential as he does, all of the you know the athleticism, and um, I would have to imagine like his combine metrics and stuff are just silly, right? Like he's got incredible bounce, really good agility, quickness, all that stuff. Um, I think it's just kind of shoring up the gambling side of things which on one hand can help you get a steal like against late in the first half against North Carolina, big dunked in the first half. Right. But then, you know, the night before there's the gamble in, in the last few seconds of the first overtime against Stanford where he gambles and ends up behind the guy that he's supposed to be defending. And the guy hits a hits a three and sends the game to double overtime could have cost him the game. So there's some give and take there. Um, you don't want to take his aggressiveness away from him. But I think you just want him to be a little bit more sound, and then the the just the shooting. I mean, I think if he improves as a shooter, there's. The, I think the the sky is obviously the the limit for him.
2: Yeah, and I just want to reiterate. I don't mean anything like I by saying I see him here a while, like I'm not, I'm going to reiterate, I think he has a professional future of him. I just think he's that type of player, especially with his role, at least this year, it will probably, I mean, granted he's back next year, increase, of course, next year. I just think he's that type of player that could stay here a couple years and really develop and turn yeah. into that. Like, I don't know, kind of that piece that Arkansas rarely has in this era of the transfer portal of just like a steady piece. But sure. yeah, I definitely think he's got, once he cleans up some stuff, that dude's got so many god-given abilities that you're like, it'll take you somewhere
1: <laughs> for sure. Last thing on Layden, and we'll we'll talk Arkansas women's basketball on Talia Scott. Uh, Layden blockers last five games, just to go over the the the, the full stat line here: eight point four points on sixty-two and a half percent shooting. Good, three rebounds. Eric's probably like, you can do better. You're, I mean, you're bouncy enough to, to do better 1.6 assists probably wants that up 1.2 turnovers I think that's you know outside of the Duke game he's been pretty good um, taking care of the basketball 0.8 blocks like that and then 1.6 steals another thumbs up uh, for Layden there what do you got on Arkansas women's basketball I know they play Louisiana Tech tonight um and then I'm I'm just excited to hear you talk about Talia Scott again. I mean, we need this Talia Scott stat slash fact of the week sponsored by by somebody. I feel like.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll work on that. Um, just recapping kind of the week that they had. Uh, they played going into tonight's game. They'll played They played three straight games against teams ranked in the top twenty this week. So they went through a gauntlet. It's funny. I had people telling me. I was all covering this team before they had started this stretch. They're like, oh, this team is 6-0. They haven't played anybody yet. I said literally look at their schedule right now. They're about to go through a gauntlet. And I think that you would have taken out of that four-game stretch. They went through a, I mean, Wisconsin's kind of the outlier. They're a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. But they played three straight games against teams that are in the top 20 this week. And if you had if you had have said they'd go 2-2 two and two in that four-game stretch, I think most people would have taken that. Um But they, uh, you talked about Duke, how it's hard to turn around after a big game and then play a play another one. How the schedule fell for them? They got a big win at Florida State last week. Um, Arkansas actually was the only men's only team to have a men's and women's win against a top twenty five team in that ACC challenge. Um, So both men's and women's took care of business in that thing. Helped the SEC out. They went seven and seven in both the men's and the women's. So. Uh, without Arkansas getting some on paper upsets, um, SEC would have lost that challenge. So, um, but they had to turn around and <laughs> they had to turn around in like three, two and a half days later, play the number two team in the nation on the, on in Bud Walton Arena, and it was unlike any team they've seen before I just style of talent. They have a six seven girl Lauren Betts, who, if she catches it down there game over it's going in the hoop she just knows how to score and so they struggled against them they they took actually took a 6-0 lead Arkansas did and you would have wanted to cut the tape there and said all right things are peachy um but UCLA took it like a 30 point lead late in the third quarter I mean they just owned that game Arkansas did look exhausted they had three players in boots after the game just precautionary wow. just dealing with soreness. but um I think they just went through a kind of the hell stretch of games where bodies are tired you're playing good teams and but the good the encouraging thing about their game against ucla is they in the fourth quarter granted ucla set their big six seven center on the bench but they don't play super deep anyway so it was still against mostly like starters and players for ucla arkansas went on a big run and cut it down to 14 with four minutes left which it was a 30 point game late in the third quarter so they 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 made it interesting there for a little bit, but UCLA wins by 15. Arkansas gets votes in this week's poll. Um, they went from zero votes to fifth most votes among not ranked teams, and they have a pretty favorable schedule. Like you said, starting out tonight with Louisiana Tech coming into the building, who's 0-6 against D1 teams. Yikes. Um, but playing a little bit better recently. Still, it should Arkansas should take care of business. If they don't, it'll be mega reason for concern. Um, but Yeah, that's kind of just a recap of their week um, and what they have next. Louisiana Tech is a team they actually played in the WNIT at Bud Walton last year. They beat them pretty bad then um, and a lot of the same pieces coming back for Tech, except they lost um, their electric score that they had last year. So Arkansas got to feel good going into this one. Um, My Talia Scott, fact of the week. She started the year 3 of 28 from three-point range. That's mega ouch, ten point seven percent, mega ouch. But she yeah. was still scoring like twenty six points a game because she's so good at driving and getting the line. But her past four games in that gauntlet stretch I was talking about, um thirteen of thirty five from three, which thirty seven point thirty seven percent. So it's like she she found her shot, trending against, in the right direction against tough teams. People are looking, I've gotten several questions, people looking at their stats, like, Oh, why is she, she's the worst three point shooter on the team shooting 25%. Why does she still get to take them? I'm like, well, look at the past four games against the better teams. I think she's getting her groove there. Um, So that's my stat. She's in the past four games, 37% from three. And um, like I said, she made three three pointers in her first five games. She's made 13 in the past four. So she's more than, uh multiplied that by four uh or i did math wrong she's almost multiplied <laughs> her scoring output right. no i did my math right we need to just completely take out my me trying to do math this might be why i can't this do the a, this back of the week because i'm bad at math, math show she is let let me just say she's shooting the three ball well right now there you go. that's a better way of saying it and uh i think that for her being the seventh best scorer in the NCAA if she was already doing it without the three ball. If this three ball k- keeps on falling, she's going to keep on climbing that chart. Cause this, she is a talent that you don't see many times come through. Um, not only Arkansas, let alone or the entire nation, you hardly see people like her as a freshman come through and can score. I said this on the first podcast that we well, first or second podcast. I said, I think if you give it a year or two, Because usually how it works in the women's game, like the players that just get all the hype. Like I know that there was a big Caitlin Clark game last night because she reached 3,000 points. Like ESPN was hyping that game up. I think that Talia, give it a year or two, will be on that same level of like nationwide hyping her up. She is that good. Um, So, yeah, there's my Talia Scott fact of the week.
1: I think on on Tuesday you wrote an Arkansas women's basketball notebook titled Uh, Talia Scott's proving her scoring is no fluke. Your um, fourth line in that notebook might be my Talia Scott stat slash fact of the week. You wrote, Scott could not score another point this season and still finish the year averaging 6.7 points per game.
2: Yeah, which... That that would be my stat, uh, my stat of the week. Except I figured that one out. I've been keeping up with that one since last week. I mean, what um, would
1: that be like? It doesn't even wow me anymore. Twenty plus points. That would be twenty plus games without a point, and you're still putting up almost seven a game.
2: Which, looking at last year's scoring averages, I think she would be fifth or sixth on last year's team if she finished the year without, like
1: didn't score again.
2: Couldn't score again and would finish with 6.7 points, which means um, you know, you would look at any traditional box like stat sheet and you say, Oh, that player, she's still an impact player. I mean, like, <laughs> it's just crazy yeah. that she could, I mean, she's filling up the scoring column. I can't wait to see at the end of this year, granted, stays healthy, everything goes. I cannot wait to see how much she shatters the single season scoring record at this at Arkansas. She's already on pace with nine games in, like. She's like halfway there to being in the top 10 or 15 or something. Wow. Um, the, she just knows how to score. It's incredible. It's I'm talking. I've talked about Caleb Battle, how much I love watching him, who I'm telling you, Caleb Battle and Talia Scott need to form the Bud Walton Buckets Club. President, I'm I'm giving her the presidency. Caleb Battle can serve vice president this year. Um they're I'm definitely
1: they're definitely if chairman of the boards for the Bud, Walken, Bud Walton Bucket Committee, for sure.
2: Yeah, I'll be the chairman, and I'm voting Talia Scott as your president this year. I mean, you're averaging 23.2 points as a freshman. Come on now. That's crazy. Um, but, yeah, that all jokes aside about Bud Walton Buckets Club, maybe maybe we can get a shirt for that, too, throw the BPMA uh, logo on there. There you go. But, um, but yeah, she's that stat, it's like, I don't know I don't know how she's been this ready as a freshman to just kind of like do things like that to be in a position where she could virtually well, she could hypothetically not score again this year and still finish with 6.7 points but I will say she told me before the season um she talked a lot about the Steph Curry camp she went to um before her senior year of high school started and she said that like the advice that stuck with her from Steph cuz she got a chance to talk she won the three point Contest there first of all, so stood out to Steph, and she said that that talked to him a little bit, and the advice he gave her was like to not let like a bad stretch, like he said, like basically everybody goes through a stretch where they aren't making shots, but like to not let it get to you. Don't let your confidence waver, and it was just cool to see her the other night after the UCLA game. uh Just somebody, I it was me. I said somebody somebody asked about uh, where her confidence was at, you know, with what she's done against these ranked teams. And she said, yeah, my confidence doesn't waver. It was like she was repeating advice that she said that she got from Steph Curry at this camp. And it's cool to see it because she did struggle from three early in the year. And now it's, she's slowly climbing to, um, she's like, I think give it a few games. She'll be right up there. Like with most people's three point percentage on the team. Um, it's just a slow start got her, but she's definitely that type of player that you you look at and you say, Arkansas. I don't Mike Neighbors getting her was huge for him. I mean, she's just the perfect player for his system. So, interested to see how her shooting trend continues. Uh, we'll be big tonight to see if she can maybe take it to another level against a team that's been really struggling.
1: I have no doubt Talia Scott will continue to get buckets and we will continue to champion the names of bucket getters. There's no doubt about that. We appreciate you listening in to the basketball podcast of mid America. Me and Ethan, like I mentioned earlier, will be in Tulsa on Saturday and we'll have full game coverage, uh, from the final game. And what is it? The Cardinal and Crimson series or Crimson Cardinal series, whatever it is, last game in that series before Oklahoma jumps into the sec, which I love that Eric just doesn't care about. Um, just a just that was a phenomenal response that he had to, to, to Nate's question there. Um, but we'll be back next week. Uh, Arkansas's getting into the portion of their schedule where there's lots of days between games. I believe next week is finals, so Arkansas has a game on Saturday against Oklahoma. The following game will be a week later against Lipscomb in North Little Rock. We will definitely um, hop on the podcast together knock out a pod reacting to oklahoma getting ready to um head down to, to central arkansas that that following weekend uh for ethan westerman and blake sutton blake hope you get to feeling better buddy i'm scotty borderline we will be back next week on the basketball podcast of mid america big piggy big woo you know how we do
0: <laughs> the proceeding has been a production of the Hog sports network Look for our daily podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. For more Razorbacks coverage, go to wholehogsports.com or follow the Hog Sports Network reporters on social media.